Spotlight with Sarah Hendy. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Faster Mai, it's lovely to have you along. This evening we'll be hearing about a project spreading joy around the island through troubled times. We find out about the new digital collection of sketchbook images from tourists in times gone by. And we look back at last week's celebration of the Gaiety Theatre's 120th anniversary. Now, do you know anyone who's still shielding or perhaps they just need a bit of a pick-me-up? Well, I bumped into Kira Kilgallen in Ramsey over the weekend who says post-millish may be just the thing you need to spread a little bit of joy. This started um, mid-lockdown, just feeling like I wanted to do something positive for everybody. You know more than anyone just how tricky this this period of time's been. So, yeah, I I spoke to a lot of... um, patients in in my different roles as a nurse and I saw a lot of loneliness and I heard about a lot of loneliness Um, but more than that not just the loneliness that people had during lockdown but for a lot of people that's their normal you know they're not they, they don't get to see many faces they don't get a lot of posts they don't have a lot of interaction and that actually is a bit more sad and then post lockdown talking to people who actually felt a bit more lonely because they didn't have anyone to interact with and it highlighted that for them um, and Howard Quayle had said um, in in one of his briefings one day that he wanted people to send more posts and it, it just I started thinking about how it's so nice to get proper old-fashioned snail mail it's, it's joyful yeah. well and what do you get now bills really that's all that comes through the door isn't it so, so it, it, how nice would it be if you could send that little bit of a message to someone and it impacts positively on them and their loneliness and you know hey I'm thinking of you I haven't seen you for ages but I'm thinking of you so it's not really a lockdown project it's more it's almost a, a post lockdown project because that loneliness is still there for a lot of people and there's still so many people who can't be with um, their, their loved ones their friends and their family that are in the UK or further away um, and, and so that was the idea. So I, I reached out to um, an artist that I've been collaborating with recently, who um, I, I feel like I could call her my friend now, we've spoken so much. Um, Carolina, who has a cup of Lena. Lena yeah. um, and she agreed to do three images for the Post Millish Project um, to create these happy, positive postcards to send out to people. Um, and the coffee shop uh, in Douglas very kindly sponsored the project and we, we produced 500 postcards and they just they were just gone in 24 hours everybody loved no them way. and picked them up and we just popped them in different locations and said who wants some of these and, and out they went and it, it was lovely actually and um, from that I had um, individuals who came forward and said hey I'd, I'd love to sponsor a run of postcards and then some small businesses as well, um, sponsored some postcards. I've been very lucky to have some support from Culture Vannin, who were really interested in the Manx language um, postcards that we've produced, um, and they've given some money towards that. Um, and actually, notably, the Manx Solidarity Foundation um, were very kind and gave a, a, a great chunk of money for the project. So I've now got about 12 local artists that they're all 
um, on the island. I've met new artists that, I, that I'd not spoken to before um, that have approached me and said that they love it and they'd really like to be involved. And we've got this great range of postcards. Um, a lot have gone out to schools. Some have been just left in different locations for people to find. A lot of people have popped by and picked some up. Oh no! Oh, what happened? You're gonna say hello. 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 Could you sing Mara my kiss? Tell me about the love. Mara my kiss. Tell me about the love. Ah, nice. That was beautiful. And what's your name? I tell. This is Kitty. Kitty Millish, and that's kind of where the name came from. So post Millish means sweet post. Um, and that's kind of just what it is, that's, that's what we're wanting to do, just bring a bit of a smile to people. So we're still distributing, we've got, um, we've got lots and lots of postcards to go out to people and we're really interested to hear from anyone who'd like some for their organisation or for their team or their workplace or they're free and they're just to enjoy um, and to send to whoever you might like. There is a Post Millish Facebook page and Instagram, give us a shout on there and we'll try and get some cards or try and meet them to do that it would be great to hear from more artists as well who'd like to um, put forward uh, pieces of work or, or anyone who might like to sponsor the project um, gratefully received and will go on to to spread a bit more love and joy spotlight brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council over lockdown, you may have really missed being able to go and enjoy the displays at the Manx Museum and some of the island's art galleries. But the Eye Museum has fantastic online archives which you can enjoy anytime, any place. Recently, they've added to the website a collection of sketches from the sketchbooks of visitors to the island through the ages, some from more than 200 years ago. We're joined by Hannah Murphy from the Eye Museum now. Hannah, what I really love about this collection is that unlike so many resources which are so preciously held, the vast majority of these works are not done by professional artists. There's a great variation of artists here and, and like you say, Sarah, not all of them are professional artists. Um, we do have a few by John Flower of Leicester who was, who was a professional artist, but we also have paintings by... Um, groups of people who can be considered as antiquaries, military explorers, draftsmen, people who are commissioned by the English government to come over and survey the Isle of Man. We have paintings and sketches by women of the aristocracy and gentry, uh, which they, they were um, some of the earliest tourists we had to the island and would be from uh, a middle-class or upper-class background uh, because obviously people who travelled over to the island in these early days had to be quite wealthy um, in order to have the resources to uh, travel and to have the finances and the leisure time to do that. So women might have had family connections, perhaps. We do have an example of Georgina Gore-Curry, who was the niece of Bishop Powys, and she stayed at their residence at Bishop's Court between 1854 and 1873. Um, she sketched lots of views of the west of the island. We have other women, um, such as Sarah Jametta Criggan. She was the youngest daughter of Bishop Claudius Criggan. Again, she's got an ecclesiastical link to the island. Uh, we have Mary Eleanor Wilson, who was related to... Canon J.M. Wilson, 
and we have a Mrs. M.A. Goodman, and she also has connections to Canon Wilson. Um, so, yeah, those family connections often brought women to the islands in, in those um, days of early tourism. And then other types of tourists you get would be uh, men who were who were perhaps commissioned to to come over and survey. So we've got an example of Daniel King of Chester. He's a really early tourist to the island. Uh, he visited probably between 1643 and 1648, and he was commissioned to survey the island in the aftermath of the English Civil War. So he visited the island with James VII, Earl of Derby, um, and he did those very early sketches of um, places like Peel Castle and Castle Russian. And at the end of the 19th century, they were copied, and it's the copies, the facsimiles that we have in the Manx National Heritage Collection. So they've been digitised as part of this collection and put onto our iMuseum website. It's a lovely collection of works and, you know, whether these were sketches which were done by commission or um, as part of a fancy watercolour holiday, they show the Isle of Man at a particular time. And it's so interesting to see how much the landscapes have changed. Yeah, it is absolutely fascinating. So, um, I mean, just today I was looking at one of the paintings of the Castle Mona. Uh, which was completed in 1804, and that was the fourth Duke of Athol's new residence at the time. So I could see that there was barely anything on Douglas Promenade around the Castle Mona, and it was right on the shoreline at that time, um, which I think was uh, sort of looked at with some surprise that he he picked that location. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing to see sort of the the expanse of land around it and the fact that there wasn't any of what we see now um, along the promenade. And I suppose it's the context and the, the the anecdotes sometimes which go with some of these images, which really add to the richness of this resource. Absolutely, yes. So when we decided to put these images online. We wanted to interpret them and really bring them to life. So we looked at some of the travel journals at the time that had been written by these early visitors. And um, you've got some great anecdotes about people arriving by sea. Um, Quite often it'd be a rough journey. It would take a long time. For example, Nathaniel Jeffries, who wrote a descriptive and historical account of the Isle of Man in 1809, talks about the distance being about 60 miles sometimes performed in 12 hours generally in 24 so very very weather dependent and you get some great accounts as well of them arriving um, at Douglas Harbour um, and there'd be crowds of people waiting uh, because they you know they bring news with them as well so there was um, an account by Captain William Latham um, who visited the island in 1815 and he talks about how they they brought news of the abdication of the emperor napoleon to the isle of man and that that word would spread really quickly once it came off the off the boat um there's there's some really humorous things like um the duke of rutland uh, his visit he talks about women um, crowding around and shouting, for God's sake, tell us who it is. <laughs> they could see, obviously, that these um, these dignitaries had landed and people were so curious. I mean, 
you can you can tell by these guides how curious the visitors were about um, traditional customs and the population of the island um, and the characters on the island. But it, the Manx people were just as curious about the visitors and the visitors, I think, were quite a source of amusement for them. The range of work is just so lovely, from really breathtaking detail in gorgeous landscapes to slightly wonky towers, maybe. It's so nice to see sort of your average Joe's impression of the Isle of Man. The the crosses, there's loads of detail, but they're not necessarily um, accurate dimensions. They're not dead on all of them. So I, I just think that's really lovely to sort of see the island through through those people's eyes and experiences. Yeah, you've just reminded me there when we were looking through the sketchbooks and selecting what to digitise, we came across a sketchbook and there was a note at the front of it and it said, by Arthur Henderson, aged about 13. And he visited the island in 1877. And I just think it's marvellous that we've got, you know, sketches by a 13-year-old boy who who was on the island on holiday ranging through to professional artists such as John Flower of Leicester. Um, So it's a new perspective, I think, on our artwork because um, a lot of what people see when they visit the museum in the National Gallery is by professional artists. So, you know, you really do get a range range of views and perspectives um, and a really good insight into the type of people that we're visiting as well. Also, it just feels to me like a lovely reminder that anyone should be able to enjoy creating art. These sketches that were made by visitors, these are now part of our national archive. And so all artwork has its place in a sense. Absolutely. And I think there's a real sort of climate at the moment with the COVID lockdown um, of people going back to sketching and, uh, you know, finding ways to occupy themselves at home. It's just fantastic to to be able to understand the ordinary person's perspective. The digital access to this is is a great form of escapism, I think. And um, I think also the whole um, way that people's visits have been captured in a time before photography is really interesting. So right now we have the whole Instagram culture and the ability to be able to sort of capture a landscape instantaneously and sort of have ownership over that as well by posting it to your social media or your Instagram. Um, These people, these early visitors, were doing kind of the same thing in that they were, you know, marking and celebrating the fact that they'd been to a particular landmark or destination, um, but they were doing it through sketching. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. It's such a good collection. I really hope you get a chance to have a look at that sometime soon. If you had your radio tuned to us last Thursday lunchtime, you'll have heard Andy Wint take the man in line on the road to the Gaiety Theatre, where the great and the good were celebrating the building's 120th anniversary. I've just taken a few snippets for us to listen to because there were some really inspiring and quite moving conversations, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. So here he is. I'll hand you back in time to the man himself, Andy Wint, at the Gaiety Theatre. 
Frank here, we are live at the Gaiety Theatre. It's 120 years old today, and we keep on talking about Frank Matcham. Francis Matcham was born on the 22nd of November, 1854. He died on the 17th of May, 1920, just over 100 years ago. He designed hundreds of darn theatres all over the place. Um, the most notable ones, well, the most notable one to us is the Gaiety Theatre, but he was also the man behind uh, the Hackney Empire in London, the Colosseum, the Palladium, the Victoria Palace, and the Grand Theatre in uh, Blackpool as well, and also the Tower Ballroom at Blackpool Tower. So, uh, of course, he knows of what he speaks, and that's why we have a Rolls-Royce, a Bentley indeed, a Maserati, a De Tommaso uh, of theatres on the uh, Douglas Promenade, and there simply is one person uh, without whom this place just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be here. Um, a man who, uh, man and boy, physically climbed in skips the length and breadth of Britain, to architecturally salvage pieces that would end up at the Gaiety Theatre. Uh, a man, if you take every brick out of this building, it's probably got Mervyn Russell Stokes written on the top. Mervyn, just sum up how you're feeling today. Humble. Humble. It's been a lifetime's work, and it's something which is so important for this island so important mm. for theatre, so important for Frank Matcham. Matcham, um, centenary of his death a couple of months ago as well, and 120 years ago, this flipping place was coming alive. And here we are now, so much has not stood the test of time. And on Douglas Promenade, we have an iconic architectural icon we have a performing arts space, and we have uh, a resource for people on the Isle of Man. It was your fault. <laughs> you, um, when did you decide, when did you come to the conclusion this patient could be revived? It's strange, really. When I, when I first came here, uh, Frank Matcham wasn't recognised. It was in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, nobody knew him. Really, I mean, I didn't know he built this place at all, and it was only by research um, we discovered what he had done. It was only by research we discovered that he had built things like the London Palladium, the London Colosseum, um, and that he was prolific. And when we looked into what had actually disappeared, we discovered most of it had gone. Um, this one can only be spoken of in superlatives. It's the only theatre in Great Britain that has never been redecorated. Um, it's lucky, I mean, I've managed to go right the way back to the very beginning. On opening night, there was a young man here called Fred Bowell. And Freddie was quite young, and he was employed to run around the theatre and um, be a call boy in the general dog's body. Freddie, as many did in those days, joined the Lancashire Regiment. Uh, sorry, the Liverpool Regiment um, before the outbreak of the First World War. And he then came back here and became the second manager of the Gaiety until 1932 when he became a director for the Palace in Derby Castle and was responsible for all the theatres and cinemas in the island. And he, he uh, retired in the late 60s and he still used to come right up until the 90s to the Gaiety. He had his own seat down at the front there. And we used to totter down together because he was quite feeble by then. <clears throat> and he always used to grab my arm and say, before I went to war, I got a ladder and went up and signed my name on that ceiling before 
I went away in case I didn't come back. I said, yes, Fred, it's 60 feet high. Yes. <laughs> However, when we did, for the first time in many years, uh, scaffold the theatre to restore the, the ceiling, um, the first thing I saw was Fred Barber on March the 20th, 1914, which was quite incredible. And he saw the whole of the theatre's history right through from its first night until the late 90s. Just tell Mervyn, why did you insist on authenticity? Why did you never compromise? Because there could be no compromise. You can go to other matchroom theatres, and they're beautiful, you know, they're lovely, but they're not original. They've been redecorated, they've been repainted. Um, you know, the carpets are exactly as they were now, the wallpaper's exactly as they were. This is the only really authentic matchroom theatre left in Great Britain. And that is why it's so important. That's why it should be better known. And that's why we must guard it very carefully so that in the future, well-intentioned but wrong improvements are made. It must be always done as it should be in 1900. And we can do that if we all work together. Thanks for being with us today, and the Thank island you. owes you an immense debt of gratitude. Um, the, the world of the arts, um, I just can't believe you didn't know it was Frank Matcham when you came. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even heard he of, really. No, He'd gone, he had died in It 90. was all about brutalist structures back in the 60s, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I mean, it? he's only been dead 50 years, yeah, really. You know, Mervyn, thanks so much. Thanks for being with us today. Great pleasure. Good to Thank talk you. to you. Thank, Thank you. you. And on Douglas Promenade, the iconic Frank Matcham Gaiety Theatre is 120 years old today, and they're celebrating it on stage. We're just in one of the posh boxes uh, off stage, And I'm talking to um, uh, Derek Hibbert, who is uh, one of the you one of the tour guides, aren't you, Derek? I am indeed, sir. And yes. you've been involved with the Gaiety how long? Thirty-one years. Good grief! And the first time you ever set foot in this place was when? Nineteen sixty-one August, when I was a teenager. <laughs> As a tourist, presumably. Oh yes, just on a holiday with my mum and dad. This is a fascinating place. Tell us all about the traps and underneath. Oh yes, the the traps are the uh, the finest ones that you can see anywhere. Uh, they're not all original, fair enough but they've been brought in by theatres which were demolished or modernised as they call it mm. and we actually saved them and had them fitted up in here so we got a complete full set. Of there was literally some theatrical skip diving wasn't there? Oh definitely, definitely yes. Or shall we call it architectural salvage? Yes, uh, generosity of managers to make sure that it came here rather than the skip, yes. And that's really, the, the, the Gaiety Theatre is a compendium of theatres here, there and everywhere that were under threat, that were rescued by the team involved in the restoration of the Gaiety. Oh, definitely so, yes. I mean, tremendous support from the government officers at the time and uh, also led by Mervyn Stokes internally. You know, it's, you know, you just can't fault it, you know, what's been done. Uh, what's your favourite part of the theatre? Uh, the fascinating part is understage, but the whole theatre is my home, as I call it. I just love this place now. Gaiety Theatre has a full set of working Victorian stage traps, is that right? Oh yes, 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 and including we can fly things in as well from the top, so you can have ghosts coming in from the side, from the top, from underneath, you, wherever you like. We can do it. Good to talk to you, Derek. Thanks for being with us It's today. been a pleasure to talk to you, Andy. And uh, look who's here. <laughs> Hello, I'm Olga Gray. I've been performing since I was 15 years old. 
Once you put your foot on this magical stage in this beautiful theatre, you'll never forget it. I have to tell you, Olga, yesterday we were coming down doing some preparation for the outside broadcast and I stood on the stage. It's transcendental, isn't it? Absolutely. It takes you into another world and you look out at the auditorium and you think, wow. 120 years people have been doing that. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it, when we bring visiting teams over for the Easter Festival of Plays, every one of them stand on that stage in awe, truly. Well, there we go. Another episode of Spotlight draws to a close. Thank you to all of our guests this week. I'll be back next Wednesday, just after six. And if you'd like to hear anything from today's programme again, just head to the Manx Radio website where you'll find Spotlight as a free podcast. So have a lovely creative week. Sign you.